That's great. Here we go, man. Um, welcome to the Meet Your Species podcast. My name is Heath, and today we have Eric. Oh, that's a fun noise. <laughs> that's Eric's cat, by the way. Anyways, um, Eric, you and I met uh, six years ago, I think, something like 2015-ish. Yeah. yeah, yeah somewhere yeah. in there. And um, we met because of our mutual friend has a... They, they had a band, and then... I'm um, oh, sorry. There's some people with a band. Mutual friend was hired to direct a music video in which both of you were working. He was directing. You were helping with all the rest of it, pretty much, except the camera. You were doing yeah. like lighting and whatnot, or something like that. I don't even remember. Yeah. Oh, we I, I think it was just like, hey, do you want to come on the set? And I was like, yeah, I'll come help out. Oh, well, there we go. Rooftop, Sunset, Mr. Blue Sky. There yeah. We go. That was the name of the band. But anyways, um, yeah, then somehow we got connected because I wanted to do this. What was it? Like we wanted to record those um, nonprofits or whatever. And uh, we started recording that show, which never got edited. And <laughs> I feel bad about that. <laughs> so this is your second show? No, this is... Uh, I'm saying we were working together with Sam on that whole project oh, for like okay. a while. Yeah, we're st okay. And right, then, I got off track. I, I went to present time, but we're still in the flashback. Yeah, still. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, anyway, we were working together on that for a while before I went to India. And that's that's how we met, that I remember anyway. What do you remember? <laughs> no, I, yeah, that's about it for me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just remember... Um, we would have so much fun because every time they come over to, you were living with Sam and yeah, we would just yeah, have guy. the most ridiculous conversations with Sam. <laughs> yeah. Cause he, he's like, he's the only guy who's done this that in a charming way, but people will say something and then whether or not they start winning or losing that argument is whether they were kidding or not. And Sam like mastered that. Per, he just absolutely perfected it. And, uh, and for, he's the only person who's like, he kind of looked good in that jacket. I've always kind of respected that. <laughs> he's he's a fun, silly person. It's <laughs> <laughs> crazy ideas. It's, some of them are a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. But anyways, um, are we still now? Or are we in present time? Yeah, we can come to present. Okay, we cut to black. Cut to fade to black. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, on this podcast, I really like helping people get to know who you are. And that way there's context for whatever else we talk about. They know where you're coming from, right? Sure, yeah. So where are you from? Let's start with that. Okay. I, uh, yeah, I'm from Kansas City. So we're, I don't, I don't know if this is like written there, but we're currently in Atlanta, which is where I live. Mm -hmm. And then I'm from Kansas City, uh, Kansas. I was, grew up very close to state line, but, um, I think a lot of people that aren't from there don't even know that there's Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah, yeah. Which is funny. I think there. So there are two distinct Kansas cities, and culturally, people treat them very differently. Hmm. And I grew up on the the Kansas Kansas culture, so my family and us had no common like characteristics with anyone in the neighborhood we grew up in because we grew up in the suburbs which i which i know we've talked about this before and growing in the suburbs is kind of like living in a weird snow globe mm. um but we we just we, like my parents moved there for the schools and you know 
can't like that was amazing of them to do that. Uh, but a consequence for all of our neighbors is we were we were those neighborhood like uh, like we always had the shittiest yard and we, all, <laughs> we we just like we were the loudest we were the most annoying ones like and I think I think my parents p- planted grass that was only alive for like two months of the year. So you have our like neighbors adjacent to us who are out at least an hour of yard work a day. It, it's <laughs> like they're uh, chiseling an ice sculpture out of these bushes. It's, it's kind of like really amazing. And then you, you look at our yard and it's like dead. It looks like nightmare before Christmas. Like our Christmas lights are still up. Um, was that like a conscious choice? Or? I, I think it was the problem was it, it was an unconscious choice. I think. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's funny. I, on a weird note, I just have a lot of problem with grass in general. I've always felt it was stupid and unnecessary. You're anti-grass. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a massive problem environmentally. Yeah. But before I knew about that, I just hated it because I hated the idea that I, as a 13-year-old, had to go mow it. Like, why did you plant something you have to cut every two weeks? This is stupid. and, And then you get like... You can get fined for not taking care of your property the way you want. Like I, I, I get it from an economic point of view. Like I understand like why things are incentivized to be that way. But just like as a as a teenager who pretty much like wore goth clothes minus the makeup. Like did you? Like I did. Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah. And and you know, mowing the lawn was not my favorite thing to do. I did it, but you know, mm. I I was always envious of people that had riding lawnmowers because. My dad actually lived in uh, Olathe, which is near Kansas City. Yeah. He had this like obnoxiously steep hill that I had to like push this stupid heavy lawnmower he had up this thing all the time. And I just hated it so much. Was it, was it good for sledding on the way down or was it like right into a busy street? No, it wasn't like a long, large sloping sledding hill. It was just a very short, very upward pointless hill that yeah. could have been something that's productive. why he had you mow it yeah he didn't, yeah he didn't want to well i only came for summer so he was trying to instill ethics okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um yeah so um for anybody who doesn't know what uh suburbia is like because i've noticed a lot of times when i travel it's just not there so what is that like for you what was your experience of the suburbs well it's it's like it's a good it's always, it's, I've explained this so many times and I always have uh, trouble figuring out how to do it, but it, it, it's fine. Like you're, you're not ever in serious tire trouble. We, we did have like a meth lab that was discovered like eight blocks away from my house or I think, fun. Yeah, I think it was a little less than that. And then, but then they, all of a sudden you heard on the news, like, oh, they raided a meth house that was down the street. Uh, but otherwise like we we were allowed to walk within to the library to school it was really cold it was really hot um and just living in an environment where everyone is generally like doing okay people go crazy and they just find their own problems and they find their own problems with each other so that whole thing of like the johnsons and wanting to be is is, oh they got a new car so i need a new car it's like that's Mm. It really is a relationship with the community in a weird way. And then you have these little nuggets of just like amazing people. Like there was this um, amazing woman who lived across the street from us. And I knew if I cut through her yard specifically, I could save like 
five or 10 minutes of walking time to my school. So I did. Oh, did you walk to school? I did. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was like a 20 minute walk. Oh, that's a commitment. Okay. It was, it was a commitment, but it was like, it it was just what we did Mm. because our parents were always just like parents are like, we're always working. Like my mom was a first grade teacher and, and my dad like had a bunch of different jobs. So um, yeah, we walked a ton. Like we walked it, like my sister and I would walk to school, uh, after taking a shower and then we would brag about like the icicles in our hair cause it was winter. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't think I would do that now. So like, You'd kudos be bragging to about that. It I don't think I'd be doing it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it was weird. It was just not, um, it wasn't a good place for me for sure. I wouldn't want to move back. Hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I will say one thing I like cause my, the area my dad's in is Olathe. Yeah. So when I got to see that, luckily it was only in spurts, like summer, Christmas time, and that's about it. But I did enjoy the extensive trails that they had going throughout all the... Kansas, if you don't know, is like super gridded. It's like numbers this oh, way, yeah. numbers this way. It's kind of crazy to me. Yeah. When I think back, I'm like, you could just... It's um, kind of like driving through an old 8-bit computer game. It, it takes 20 minutes to get anywhere. There's constant traffic lights. Yeah. I wonder what would happen if they shifted to roundabouts everywhere. Would that work? I think everyone would revolt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been there in 15 years. I don't know. People have changed, but I hope they, I hope they change. But um, yeah, Anyway, uh, that's one thing I like, but I, I think I feel at least for where my dad was that experience it was very mm, nothing terrible no problems but just nothing amazing it's too flat there's just nothing going on there's every opportunity in kansas city to have a great life if you want that nine to five job if you're like self-motivated if you don't need a community to like encourage you and lift you up like you can definitely be happy there but you know i just moved to atlanta because of, of the industry and it's just, I don't know, it's got a little more mm. zest in it. It's a little spice of life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And peaches. Yeah. Allegedly. I still haven't seen peaches hardly anywhere in Georgia. You haven't seen them like sell peaches at the side of the road or anything? I mean, if I drive to Florida, it's like midway yeah. down. There's like a, a big peach exit yeah. thing. But apparently South Carolina grows more peaches than Georgia. Yeah. Really that makes it. sense. It's a, it's a silly thing. Like <laughs> it feels like marketing for no reason. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I don't. I don't know. Like maybe there were more peaches when they came up with that, and then Could they declined. Be. Maybe all the suburbia took that away. Yeah, but anyways, um, what a. So just kind of paint a picture of what your childhood was like. Like that you have. You said you have a sister. Yeah, like, yeah. We we've talked about this as well, and there's like, like this is a this this is when the story is like less fun for sure. It's like it's kind of a mood killer. Like like. Uh, Whenever I tell the story to somebody, it's it's usually like a, it's it's always been like oh now we've gotten close enough to where I can talk to you about these things, and I always like give the warning is like hey it's like it's been a lot of fun this night so far, but like this is a real mood killer. It's like <laughs> maybe like, yeah, but uh, but yeah, I, uh, when I was uh, around uh, ten, um, my dad started gaining uh, some severe mental illnesses. And it was uh, to no fault of his own to to start gaining them. Uh, we didn't know what was going on, and it happened all of a sudden because uh, it was a, a reaction to a medication he was taking. 
uh, he had, um, he, my dad had a, a rough go of it for sure. Like he didn't really have his, his father figure there. Um, he got into a rough crowd and did some dumb stuff. And because of that, he got hepatitis C and didn't know it. Um, we never acquired it from him. And, uh, and so they started going on this, they started telling me like, like unraveling the story. It's like, Oh, Hey, he had this. I'm like way too young to understand what's going on. Cause mm. this is the picture they painted for me for just a little kid. It's like, all right, he may die earlier, but by then there could be medicine that could help him. I was like, okay, cool. And I know my dad is just this, there's, there's an actual story. And I always thought that this stuff was kind of made up, but he actually took his shirt off his back to give to a stranger. He was this sort of this like cartoonish version of kindness. Um, and yeah, he was just always, always there. Um, taught me how to play chess. He was, he was the first person in my life who sat me down and was like, what do you want to talk about? Anything you want, which is great for me for sure. Mm. Um, and then what when kind he of things, would you talk about? Oh man, it was, it was actually just everything. Like it was, he was, he was very religious. Um, so he really liked talking about religion, but it, it could have been anything from it's like, I think we talked about what sex was when I was six. Uh -huh. Yeah. Like he was, he might've been a little early on that one, but luckily like he did a good job and we took it well. Um, and it was, you know, politics or rock and roll or whatever. Like it was just, everything was on the table and nothing was, was scary in those conversations. It's a pretty good, open-minded kind of way to approach. Yeah, definitely. So, and I still love those conversations. Like, I'm still kind of looking out for him. Um, and then, uh, and then he found this experimental uh, medication, and uh, a side effect if you have mild bipolar disorder, which we, which he did, and nobody knew that, it becomes severe, which we all found out. It's a minor side effect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And he never properly got a lot of treatment because it was still a time period and we were still on that like snow globe kind of time capsule, just, just enough to where there wasn't, I know we need a huge push towards uh, mental health nowadays, but like it was, it was much worse back then. Mm. And um, nobody knew how to navigate that. So he just, every day just, his personality decayed into somebody who was very, very, uh, it was, it was awful. It was really, really bad. Um, it was, it was so, um, yeah, yeah. In as much or as little detail as you want, how would you describe, uh, living with somebody who's got that for somebody who has never experienced bipolar or these kind of things? That's or a great just, question. Even just mental health. Yeah. Thanks for giving me context. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, uh, he had about, when, when it, even before it was at its worst, he had about three or four different emotions and he could only, it was like his shift gear was broken. He could only go into high gear into any of those emotions mm. and the worse it got, just the higher gear it was, mm. or it was, or one of his states was just like stone cold. And so like, that's what he took outside the house. And then inside the house, it was like inappropriately happy or inappropriately sad or inappropriately angry. And, uh, yeah. Do you think the, like you said stone cold, does that mean like not really showing much emotion at all? Yeah. Yeah. Is like it, look at a like picture a... of him before he went insane. And then afterwards it's, it's two different faces. Uh, do you think that's like a defense mechanism to be able to function outside I, or? 
I don't know. I think it was at first because, you know, this was this started 20 years ago now. So I can look back and, and say things like, oh, I like my dad was also going through a hard time. But then he also became a different human being. So it was this weird it's this weird look from uh, from an already weird time in your life to see uh, to see your dad go from one human being to uh, another human being, which you really, you just hate the guy. He was, he was never, he became, there was nothing positive about that relationship. And he was one person and then he became another. And we all don't have the tools to diagnose him, but we think it was, I think it was a lot of like schizophrenic behavior too. Cause he was saying a lot of things that wasn't, it wasn't just about the emotion of what he was saying. It was like, Oh, that's like, that's tinfoil hat territory. Like he's really uh-huh. like, like it, like I, I don't have, I don't have a lot of memory of specifics of my own. So I have to borrow them from my family. But like, there's some stuff he definitely said. That's like, it, it's on par with, uh, with like blaming the government for stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, and that, that's where he was. That's where his, his, mm-hmm. uh, his thought process went. So are there, th- with such a intense person to live with, I'm sure that had a large impact on shaping you in yeah. so many ways. Yeah, so absolutely. What were the things that you, um, good or bad, kind of took away from that and used to kind of become who you are? Sure. I mean, the the ba- all the bad parts are pretty much just about like having like trauma and not realizing it. Like trauma. Mm-hmm has unearthed itself like this past year. So mental health is a very important part to my life. Absolutely. Um, and it's not something that, so trying to think of the, like the most efficient way to be vulnerable here, but Mm. it, uh, it, it's, it's a very tricky thing to, to, to unravel because it, it, it takes effort and time. So sometimes you have the energy for all the effort, but you don't, it's not time. And then other or other parts, it's time to do it, but you don't have the energy for it. Mm. And you're also balancing your own life. Um, and that just, it, it, it is what it is. So and then I'm sorry, go ahead. When you, uh, I'm just curious from your perspective, if somebody has gone through something traumatic and they have trauma that they've not dealt with, yeah, um, or maybe don't even realize that they yeah. had it, probably more likely, yeah, yeah. What? How does that manifest itself in your life? So for me, it was art. Like I really delved into these abstract thoughts um, because they were fascinating and there were things that like I could I could dig into as much as I needed to. Um, and I also, you know, dug into the computer too much. So like it, uh, like playing too many computer games and stuff like that. Like that, that was my traditionally like being on the computer was my escapism. And that's been something that I've reeled back. I think the computers, I have a computer in my house. I think video games are great. It's just not, it's just not for me. It's like, Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, there's nothing wrong with you going out and smoking weed or, or drinking, but like, it's not going to be for everybody. So the computer is, is not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it, it will come up and just so otherwise it came up with me um it gave me so some positive effects that happened through that because it because you can definitely you can always like find the diamonds with all that pressure going on and it, it definitely gave me a, a huge perspective of how fragile people are uh gave me a huge perspective of of like what death was in a, in a very weird way it made me grow up a lot faster um and uh it just helped me like connect with a group of people that are really amazing like there's there's a portion of the world that just see things differently and and that's it's not just it, it's kind of a troublesome way to look at it if you were to say um they just are um they just look at things they, they're doing what they can because they're not it's not a better or worse situation it's just like there's some really interesting way to solve problems because you can you can sense tension differently and you can like oh, hopefully like, respect that a little more like because you're around somebody who created certain situations you're more sensitive to picking up on it yeah around other people yeah um so my like um being with my sister taught me a lot because she handled it very very differently than me hmm. uh and just like her and i were kind of together in that moment because maybe fill in a couple blanks in this painting but like um i have an older sister she's two years older than me uh and my mom as well my mom is is really the unsung hero in this story um so when i say things like my mom wasn't really around to help to help us it was sort of my sister and i parenting each other that is true but my mom deserves way a ton of credit I can't be more thankful because she was this barrier between my dad and us. And she couldn't, she couldn't do it all the time because he was way too much, but mm. she, she made sure the bills got paid. She like kept everything afloat. Um, she, when, when he started getting like, uh, physically abusive, when it, when it's reached that point, we, she picked us up and we ran away from the house and we, got the house back like she did all that work like and that's not something you can appreciate at the time no, and it's very uh, difficult to do in the moment too yeah for sure and and i don't want to talk about i don't want to like share their story too much but uh but i do want to share my appreciation for like everything that she did did for me in there and she was also there for me emotionally too mm. um but she she had like she had her own jenga stack it was mm. it was pretty tall already it's pretty tall and pretty thin she was doing it <laughs> fair enough what um Who would you say are the people or experiences that really helped maybe give you moments of growth or clarity or things like that? Yeah. Um, so we had, we had some trouble communicating what we were doing to like our friends and family because he was such an amazing person beforehand. We would mm. like, my mom would just point blank, tell people what's going on and they point blank wouldn't believe her because it was, it was so unbelievable. And, um, and there were very few people who could deal with him. So when he had to leave the house, because he was a different person, um, he went to his mom's, my grandma, and she eventually had to ask him to leave. And then he went to like houses upon houses. And then and then there was a time where like we, we didn't know where he was for three months. Like oh. we just don't know. That's so we, I, I assume he was homeless, but I have no idea. 
and then uh, and then he moved in with my uncle who is a, a very huge personality he's got one of the biggest personalities i've ever i've ever come in contact with mm. and uh and he shut my dad down every step of the way like he was just a ex-military he was just not having big, it. tough yeah wasn't having it um i don't really know what their relationship was like but i know my uncle was a big um he 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 allowed us to take a breather because then he kind of took a lot of that force and they bought a house together which was amazing and then during the summer times he uh he he said all right i'm gonna go do my work in oklahoma and texas and i'm gonna take i'm gonna take little eric with me and uh, and that was my breather to like leave the suburbs for the first time and oh he took you with him to texas yeah texas a lot of a lot of work in oklahoma um, a lot of work in texas and um made way too much money and uh, spent it way too quickly um, for a job that I hated that really toughened me up and kind of gave me a lot of different perspectives of like, Oh, like I have to, I have to do this on my own. And like, he wasn't going to help me. And that was really what I, that really helped me in that time for sure. I was very lucky for that. What, um, so it sounds like your uncle filled in a lot of that, like, what do you call it? Not father figure, but this like a good, yeah. a good meal. I, I like calling him like he's my uncle, father, brother, uncle, father, brother. Yeah. <laughs> he kind of tried to do all of it at once and it was great. It was, yeah. Mm. And he was for, for, uh, for a time in my life, he definitely was and in, in some ways still is a, a father figure to me. Um, and, uh, and he, he shapes me continually because we are just two very, very different people like um like politically and personality traits like if we didn't go through that together i don't think we could be in the same room together for very long <laughs> before i realized this is a bad idea um and then that just taught me it's like oh it's like there are people who i uh, it's like i like you're kind of supposed to not like certain people and he's one of those people and i don't have to do that like i can not like i can really really want parts of him to change and things that i disagree with but i don't have to i don't have to take that out on him mm. and i and, and i really appreciate that as well like you can love him and still disagree with how he is or yeah. what he's doing or saying or something yeah he just has some he's, he's just got some old school beliefs that need to need to be washed away <laughs> yeah fair enough um uh any were there any like did you have any hobbies or any other people in school or what? Well, um, the, the hobby that kind of got me through it was writing. Like I just really dug into short stories and poetry and mm. that's where I kind of grew creatively. Um, I had a, an amazing creative writing teacher in high school and there was a loophole where you could just keep taking the same class. Because they, they called it writing one and two and three and four, but it was the, you go in, oh. it's the exact same thing. It's like, here's the writing prompt, write whatever you want with it or write whatever you want. Interesting. And it was exactly what I needed. Um, and so uh, that's kind of um, how I stepped into my interest now where I'm trying to just try to put new pieces together to see if I can make something that's maybe a little new or maybe a little interesting um, artistically. 
Um, but all of that stemmed from, from like poetry and writing, like, uh, and I'm, I, I still, I still write now in different ways, but not seeking it professionally. Mm. What, um, if it's not too personal, what kind of things would you write about? <laughs> um, a lot, most of them were like satiric, like a lot of them were making fun of the suburbs. Mm. Um, it it was nothing too drastic. Um, I was probably, I was, I, I probably wrote more poetry than anything. Like I loved, I loved like rhyme schemes. Like I always loved stuff like that. Like I loved iambic pentameter. It's like, Oh, I want to say this thing, but I think it sounds pretentious when I write an iambic pentameter. So how do I make this funny? Like, how do I mm. like use this thing to make fun of itself? Um, and then, uh, then started reading poetry outside of class and, and uh yeah it was great i mm. have a cousin who's um he he really likes poetry and he he made an entire uh collection of evil nursery rhymes okay <laughs> he made them all like very evil and dark. wow it was very funny so nursery rhymes yeah <laughs> <laughs> but like for adults <laughs> okay it was very much like cards against humanity kind of but uh, oh right he just went right to crude not um, I wouldn't say crude. It was it's more subtle and clever, but okay. it was it was just hilarious. I, I really appreciated it. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. But um so yeah. What what were the other things from like um that point on that really started uh pivotal moments in your life? Um there was filmmaking, like I was just obsessed with watching films, like um like we had boxes of VHS and not all of them were labeled. Oh, that's fun. So I, I watched <laughs> the man with no name trilogy by just putting in those movies in the VCR, not knowing what they were and be like, Oh my God, this is awesome. It's like, this is some real cool stuff. Um, and then well, for some reason, like I was, I was very sheltered as far as media content. Mm. I grew up, um, in a, like a, not like Jehovah's witness level or Mormon level, but I grew up in a sheltered, uh, home and then I found the library loophole, which is you could check out rated R movies when you're like 13, 14 and from the library. Yeah. So the first like movie movie I saw on my own was Silence of the Lambs. And then like oh. I graduated the Clockwork Orange. And it was like like that was a rough time in my life. I thought that were pretty cool. And I'm like I I went back and watched them recently as an adult and it's like I'm like messed up from clockwork orange like 30 years or 20, 15 years later it's like oh my god like how did i stomach this back then that's amazing yeah it's it's a fun experiment to go back and watch the things that you did like <laughs> as a kid even just watching the original like a uh, disney um jungle book i realized like it's an it's an odd movie i haven't seen that in a long time i i this was probably i uh, must have been like 22 or something and I went back and watched because I loved it as a kid, like a lot. And then I went back and watched. I was like, this was peculiar to say the least. <laughs> Some of these themes and the way they told the story. Do you remember when they were like people were outing Disney movies for like putting those adult jokes in the film? Yeah. Did you ever hear the one in Aladdin? Oh, he's like, take off your clothes or something. Good teenagers take off their clothes. I found that on a VHS. Oh, did you? Yeah. It's like I played it back for my my parents, my grandpa. I was just like very young. And I was just like, yeah, it's right there. It's like you, so you could slow it down. So right before the um, uh, the carpet ride song, 
Um, when he, it's like going down on the on the edge of the balcony. He's all, yeah, and then he first jumps up and the lion attacks him and he goes, "Good kitty, good kitty, good teenagers take off their clothes." Just like real, real quick. And it's like that is not that's not an artist prank. Like that Questionable. was what is yeah. this? That, that direct like that actor said that and then they put it in. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. You have to. I don't know. Like, I can't really can. <laughs> compute all the things like if you think about uh, people like robin williams the way he is as an actor the amount of things that would have been left on the editing floor from oh my god recording yeah session must it's have been true. just out of control <laughs> uh, um so you got into film why film well i i had first started with an interest in writing and i knew that I would spend more effort watching movies and reading book books. It's like, oh, I should like be a screenwriter. Mm. So I went to school for film. And when I got there, I just started being as nosy as I could and helping out as much as I could and just kind of fell in love with um, uh, the camera and lighting and just how it was its own, um, its own language. Like it was a new language, like all of a sudden... I could say different things that I couldn't before. And I got to skip small talk. I got to skip, um, you know, asking permission. Can I say this? Like all these other things. Um, and then I just got to help. I got to help other people tell a story. And like that, that was a, something that I really, really fell into very hard. Mm. Um, and I've like, as far as like, um, foundational arts like i am a much better sculptor than i am a painter and i think lighting and camera work is a lot about like figuring out what it's happens like when you do this i think so i think i think a lot of lighting is sculpting mm. um because light itself is a 3d object that when you when you see it on uh, the picture you see you do see a 2d image and some people uh very fairly like look at it like a 2d image and so they see it as painting but when as far as like placing things and then changing the quality of light which is this whole wormhole of mm -hmm. like things you can think about um and i did obsessively for the entire time i was there and many years after um like people knew me as the guys like if you get a conversation with me like in 10 minutes i'm going to talk about lighting <laughs> it, it really was like that insufferable for sure <laughs> yeah i mean you've taught me a lot i didn't um fully understand why like what it diffused light was and you very yeah. eloquently explained it and i was like oh that makes complete sense and i've been able to share that with other people since oh then. cool that's awesome so i appreciated that yeah yeah it, you know um there are just so many and there are so many more tutorials about lighting as well like online and lighting is just a more accessible thing it's going to continue to be accessible like i was just at one of our local um local uh shops and they had all this new lighting equipment because it keeps coming out um and i hadn't been there since pre-coronavirus so uh i was just checking all the new stuff out and it's like things are getting brighter and cheaper and it's only going to get brighter and cheaper it's just mm -hmm. incredible like i i like look forward to like what people are going to do with it in the future yeah with like all the new technology coming out and yeah yeah absolutely like you were just show for this uh just today you were showing me that cool light with the leds yeah 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 
looks like a fluorescent tube, but it can yeah. do all kinds of crazy stuff. If, if, uh, just, just, yeah, if you were to imagine like a lightsaber and one half of it is the battery in plastic and the other half of it is the lightsaber. And then you could just, you could just put it places and control it on your phone. And it's just like, oh my God, like that. This is magic. Yeah. Saves everyone time and allow, saving time allows you to be more creative. Is it already the case? Or if not, do you think it will soon be the case where the lighting people can set up lights and then they'll just be someone with an iPad, like masterminding an entire thing? Uh, it's it's already the case, um, but it really depends on the like the show for sure, because mm. there's still a place for old school lights. There's still a place for um, um, tungsten, the old like the hot lights versus now the LED lights. Um, and it really depends on the show. It depends on how much setup time you get. Mm. Fair enough. Um, so let's look a little more at, um, closer to present. Like this whole last year has been just unexpected. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. 2020 pandemic nonsense. Not nonsense. It just is what it is, but in some ways not <laughs> so when it when it first hit um i i like really dug into like what the coronavirus was for like two hours a day i think it took me two weeks to reach my limit because mm. i was like calling my family and being like hey this is what i heard what have you heard and they're like i we haven't looked into it at all it's like okay we'll just do this for me and i call back a week later and be like i was totally wrong like they've changed their mind it's now this and I was just trying to keep the story straight. I was just amazed because you have all of these systems breaking down, our, our like hospital systems, um, all of our public systems, all of our service industries. Um, but like the information pipeline broke down too. They, mm. they were, depending on what channel you flipped to or what YouTube station you went on, it was what you were told to do. And, and it was amazing to kind of witness that level of miscommunication on the internet. At scale, yeah. Yeah. And that's with having somebody uh, who's supposed to be the expert giving information in the CDC yeah. and all this. And still, it's just... The CDC were wrong or they, they backpedaled on a lot of things because they didn't they didn't want... I think they... I know they, they said one thing and then later they said they took it back mm -hmm. because they didn't want to... It, I can't remember the, the nuances of it, but it was something like we didn't... We didn't want people to react this way. So we told them this because we thought we would get more of the reaction we think should have happened. Oops. And then it's like, oh, all right, well, now they're doing it. The, and now that we were, man, I wish yeah. I wish I had just known because that would have saved me a lot of trouble. I don't know the the stats on how to judge a, a general population behavior, but. Yeah, it's got to be a very difficult position because they had to deal with the administration, like the presidential administration, and also. Yeah trying to make a judgment call on like what's going to get the result that needs to happen it's kind of like uh dealing with a child like you cannot oh, yeah. just tell truth to a child they will it'll be cause problems sometimes you just have to lie in con and just to do what get them to do what they need to do but uh, at the same time these are adults so it's like yeah Ugh. i i don't i don't agree with that methodology uh because i i like maybe there are instances where you need that in the short term but I think it really hurt us in the long term because oh, I'm not saying they did the right thing. I'm saying like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. Just generally like, uh, that's what they were experiencing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I honestly like, 
I'm sorry. Trump was a bit of a toddler with laser gun. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really that's hard one to do. Is with. that yours? Did you come up with that? I don't know. I'm sure that's someone great. else has said that before. But yeah. I love that. <laughs> but that's what I feel like. Imagine trying to be the science expert, <laughs> trying to teach a toddler with the laser gun. It's like, uh, yeah, this is a tough pickle. I don't 100%. <laughs> I don't know. Like what was, what were the, some of the, like, there were so many crazy things that happened. Like what stood out for you? Hmm. Well, honestly, so even before the pandemic, um, when Trump got elected, I was in India in the teacher training. Mm. I didn't know the results of the election even for a couple months. And when someone told me I was mad because like I really wanted to not deal with anything. I was, I was in an ashram, I was doing yoga, and I was just trying to grow myself. And I didn't want all this news information filling my head with sure. stuff I don't need. Yeah. But um, it quickly became apparent that uh, once I started leaving the ashram and just traveling around and being more in the world, there was like a scandal every week, I felt like, if not more. And like major things that probably would have been the end of political careers before Trump. But for him, it was yeah, so he, much. We're still, I think everyone is still unraveling how he, how he just him. So I'm, I'm on, I'm in the camp that Trump has never been the source of the problem. He's a symptom of a problem. I know mm -hmm. that's not, I'm not alone in saying that. Um, but Trump does have some of his own problems. And, and one of them is definitely breaking down the communication of himself. Like it, like for some reason, I think we're still trying to understand it's hard to talk about Donald Trump without using it. Um, just an axe to have that conversation. It just it's like, oh, fuck that guy. It's like, that's that seems to be the only clean way of doing it. Yeah. And then when you talk to somebody who likes Trump, which is, what, like, at least 40% of Americans? Plenty. Plenty, yeah. It's just like, well, now now you're isolating 40% of the conversation that's no by thing. having the easier conversation. It's, so how do, you, how do you navigate this? Yeah, I don't know. I... So when you say he's a symptom, the way I've envisioned it is yeah. like, as a country, we're kind of like, okay, you know how in each and every one of our heads, there's all these conversations happening all the time. Like, yeah, so we're, many... we're all like playing our own little stories. And yeah, there's, there's a movie we're, going we're on. We're bad at keeping track of them too. There's a bunch of yeah. critics in there. There's yeah. like everything. I, I imagine the like i tell this when people don't know how to handle things i'm just like just imagine each and every person you come in contact with is a thought in your head do you listen to all the thoughts in your head because i sure don't just a lot of them i'm like yeah i'm just gonna ignore that yeah <laughs> kind of like a crazy uncle or somebody who's just you love them but they're talking nonsense and so you're just like yeah okay <laughs> okay I, I i have to deal with that with some people if they don't have enough logic like it's not that i won't listen to you but i just don't I can't, I, how do I put it? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think of the global population like that, like um, not to dismiss people, but at the same time, if somebody has spent 40 years studying audio engineering and then someone comes along who's just got an iPod shuffle and thinks they know everything about music because they had an iPod shuffle for yeah. six months, I'm sorry, <laughs> your, your opinion is just not as weighted to me as the audio file. I, I am not on social media anymore. Um, and it, it's been, it's been about three years ish. So I think it's, it's obviously the culture has changed. Mm -hmm. 
But when I hear people talk about things like Twitter, it's that that's pretty it sounds relevant to what they were saying. It's just a lot of people with iPods saying that they're the DJs or journalists of the world. It's just like, wow, I would be really hard to navigate. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't do that well. I shouldn't be on Twitter. I wouldn't take it well. Like I, it'd <laughs> be difficult. Yeah. Have you heard of the Dunning Kruger effect? Um, I have, but you'll have to remind me what it is. Okay. It's a graph. Okay. Uh, if you can see this, it's uh, the y axis is confidence, and the uh, x axis is your level of competence or experience. Got it. And what happens with. I find this applies to so many different aspects of life, but you're this, it spikes up very quickly, very confident, very little experience. And then that's called the peak of Mount Stupid. And then you fall into the valley of despair when you realize you're dumb, because then you realize that there's this very gentle slope that goes up to actual confidence backed up by clarity of, of just experience, you know? Yeah. And so what I found is most people are living on Mount Stupid Especially if you look at YouTube, like, oh man, they, you haven't penetrated anything in your life with enough depth to acknowledge that you're dumb. And I don't mean that to be downplaying as some people We're all really stupid because the amount you can actually know is so little. It takes so much yes. to actually be yeah. competent. I would never anytime soon, if ever claim to be as good at lighting as you are, because I know that I'm just on Mount stupid. I just know enough to be dangerous as my mom would say. <laughs> um, I, I, I see that too. And I don't know, like whenever I'm working with somebody, it's, it's not always, but usually the best and most talented people I, I get to work with and I get to learn from are the, the most chill and the, the kindest. Mm. Um, and there's, there's like, you know, some outliers in that graph, but some people just like being loud or jerks and they yeah. also happen to be stupid talented. But most of the time it's, it's always like, oh, okay, like they say you're really good and, and like, you're not freaking out. You must be really good. Like <laughs> if you can handle that. Yeah. Well, one good quote that I've heard is if someone tells you you're Oh, you're so pretty. Oh, you're good at this. Oh, you know, giving you all these like crazy compliments. Yeah, I keep saying it. It feels nice. <laughs> you're so confident. You're this, this. <laughs> it's fine. That's their opinion, right? It's fine. Mm -hmm. But if you start believing I'm so smart, I'm, I'm so great, you're an idiot. Well, I'm... Because if you've really mastered anything, then you know that what you know is so small compared to what you could know. Is there another way that we, is there another measurement that we can use besides competent and stupid? Because I feel like that may be, that may be interpreted by people listening to the conversation in a hostile way. Okay. And, and like what, like, like what you want to do is, is you want to take all the people you disagree with and you want them to agree with you. You want to conquer them, but that's not going to happen. So can you take all the people you disagree with and just understand each other in a way that they agree with? And then we can at least build something that we can build the parts of the Venn diagram that we do like. Um, and not to say that you were doing this. And the only reason I brought it up is because I, I hear, you know, like how half the country is stupid. Well, well, that's not true at all. Like the whole country's stupid. Like everybody's <laughs> really stupid. Like, like, yeah, sure. It's like, you're absolutely right. Like you are right to be 
outraged and angry at this in this instance where this part of the country disagrees with you. But that doesn't mean you're good at everything. And I certainly have never met a single person who is. I've I've seen people who are way better at it than me. And mm-hmm. I, but I've never seen anyone who can even come close. And so we're, we're all in this together. Yeah. Um, and, but I don't, I don't necessarily have the answers to that. I, um, because, cause there's like, you know, so I did March in the black lives matter protests. Um, I wore a, a mask, I social distance, but like that was very, terrible in a pandemic sense. It's like, you can't have one without the other. Uh, but I did go. And, uh, there, there was this one time where uh, I found a protest and I went with them and, and it grew and it was, it was an amazing experience. Um, because we ended up at underneath the Confederate flag at stone mountain, stone mountain, Georgia, where the Ku Klux Klan was founded. And we, we protested underneath that flag. I was like, this is, this is an amazing memory. It's like, I'm really going to hold this in my heart for a long time. Mm. But before we got to that amazing moment, we were just walking down the street. People were supportive. This guy rolled up in his car that, that I think can only accurately be described as, um, recently divorced KFC general. Mm -hmm. He just had the whole facial hair. He had everything for him. And, and he just, he just like, pretended to be nice and then was racist and drove away. It's like, motherfucker, fuck. (laughs) Like, man, like we really thought this was a community moment. Like, thanks for being that like little piece of turd on the sprinkle Sunday. Like we all like, we all liked how this tasted until you came along. Why did you pee in the punch bowl? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Like, like that guy was being stupid. That guy, that guy was being dumb. That guy was being toxic. Um, and I'm not saying he represents a lot of people, uh, but how do you have a conversation with that dude? I have no idea. It's like, obviously there are enough of those guys that we have to like figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I think the key is going to be figuring out, cause like you said, there's quite a large population in the U S which was in favor of Trump and a lot of them were in favor of patriotism and uh, a lot of qualities which sound good. The problem is for people who found those things to be a problem, it's usually because they recognize there's like 14 signs of um, authoritarianism. And they recognize that and that's what they had a problem with. Yeah. It's not that we're not we, I don't I really, I'm just um, one of the best ways I heard this put, I took the pledge of allegiance and someone removed all the parts that have been changed over time. Cause it's changed quite a lot actually. Hmm. And what you're left with, if you, in journalism, what you do when you're trying to condense a story is you remove all the parts that are, if you have to go back and try and tweak, just take all of it out and see what's left. Okay. And what you're left with is I pledge allegiance to liberty and justice for all. That doesn't mean people. That's a better country. pledge. I'm all for that. Yeah. The other one's very confusing. I didn't know what it meant as a kid. Yeah. Pledge to liberty and justice for all is very straightforward. Yeah. Save a lot of teaching time. <laughs> like that adds up during the year. And who's going to be against that? Like, really? So we, well, I think, I think there are a lot of people who want to take out under God and they want that to stay in there. Cause I think that's in the pledge of allegiance. 
Yeah, that's. I, I understand why they feel that way, but that, oh, okay, I don't I'm being make... I'm being too much of devil's advocate. I'm sorry. No, no, but that came in in the fifties because of communism. Oh, it yeah. wasn't in there before. Yeah. So there's a lot of things like that that they were changed over time to try and be more specific and tweak it this this this. But like honestly, you, I have a serious problem that we drew artificial lines on geography and said people over there are bad poo poo they can't come in and people in here are good you should never work for propaganda offices i'm just letting you know that's not oh, your calling yeah it's complete opposite. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like a problem for me that's a human like if you think you're better than that human then i have a problem with you i yeah i i think i think that's a huge i think um i think we approach this a little differently but i think we agree with it um I don't understand how you could have any, I don't, when you're looking at somebody like morally like that, so like I'm a good person and they're a bad person, to me, that's a, that's a social structure system that is going to lead into a caste system. That's, that's what you're incentivizing it to be. Well, more importantly, it will lead to conflict every time. Yes. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that would be, I don't know. If I were to give this steps, I don't know what step that would be, but the steps of, of, uh, of beginning to identify people into a, a less than more than based mm -hmm. on like who's better or worse. And whenever I think about how I can think of things as better or worse, it's like, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Like there are definitely guys who are like, uh, funnier. There are guys who are smarter than me. There are guys like, like anything, like there's a skill set that I even love doing. I'm going to find someone out there who's more experienced or just was, was born with those genes. Um, cause there are a lot of people that's, that's a good lottery for sure. And I'm very happy with the lottery that I have. Uh, but whenever you get to like just plain better than or worse than like the poo poo heads and then the us, mm -hmm. it's like, what are you actually saying? Cause it's like, it, it sounds like nonsense to me. It sounds like you're just saying sounds and you're feeling like better than you're feeling superior. It's really what you're measuring. Yeah. You want to be special. You want to be above and look down on other people. Yeah. Have you seen or read the Dr. Seuss book, the stars upon stars? I have this sneak sneeches have star something like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I, I, I don't. Okay. The basic story is this. There are Sneeches, which is a Dr. Seuss yeah. animal. We'll call it an animal. I don't know. <laughs> he creates very interesting characters. But there are two kinds. One that have st uh, stars on their bellies and ones that do not. The ones with stars feel special. And then a businessman comes along and um, offers for a certain price. He can put a star on your belly and you too can be a fancy Sneech. <laughs> and so uh, the ones without stars start paying and getting stars and then the ones that already had stars can't tell the difference anymore and they don't like it so the businessman's like well have i got a deal for you for a certain price i can take off your star and then you you again can be special and so like this they just keep going in this loop 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 back and forth back and forth until no one has any clue wh who the original teams were yeah and they're all broke anyway and so the businessman's like well i'm done and he goes away with all his money wow <laughs> it's so brilliantly written and the rhyming ability like you would as someone who appreciates writing you would love it okay all right this is something i grew up with like as a child i loved all these dr seuss books because he's a genius yeah yes 
Um, I, when I look at it that way and then apply that concept to what I see around me, I'm just like, we're a bunch of fools. We're so dumb. Like, why is this a thing? I didn't, did you know that passports weren't even a thing until like the late 1800s, early 1900s, something like that? That makes sense. That feels right. People just came and went. Oh, I have a boat. I'm going to go now. Bye. (laughs) And that's it. It was that simple. Um, how do you feel about, man, I wish, I wish I had like some eloquent way to put this, but the, the, so in, before the 1800s, before passports, it was a lot harder to like carry large amounts of dangerous things. Mm -hmm. And so as it's become easier to do harm to people, we have we've traded our freedom for security like passports sure um how do you feel about that counter argument where like like how do you feel about things like gun control in the u.s where well like let me let me let me give you a little bit of of groundwork where like we can all agree that like if somebody's threatening you you should it should be legal to use your your hands and your your own body to defend yourself and then if somebody's harming you, it should be illegal to use a nuclear weapon. And it seems like we're arguing about where... Where the line is. Yeah. It's like, I'd love to know what you think about that. Sure. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say this is something I'm like an expert in, but uh, my general feeling is I grew up on a farm. Uh, I didn't grow up on a farm. My grandfather has a cattle ranch Yeah. where there are many guns. He has to use them to coyotes eat cattle so sometimes you just had to kill them that was his thought process sure um things like that so while i as an adult looking back have many problems with the way he was running the farm at the same time it's pretty benign compared to factory farming so there's that but Having said that, I grew up in a situation where I enjoyed taking... Um, there was a point where he bulldozed an old house that he had, and um, he meant to burn it, because that's what... He still burns his trash. I mean, that's just how they things used to be uh, decades ago here. Like, people just kind of burn their trash. Hmm. So he was going to burn this house, but it was such a dry season that it was too risky, because it might catch everything on fire. So there was just a giant house rubble in a long stretch in one of his pastures. So what I would do is I would go pick through and pick cool things like old art supplies my parents' generation had from when they were kids in the house. Wow. And I would just like set them all up and take a gun and I would, it was like a little backstop and I would do like sniping, like target, target practice. A lot of fun. Um, so that I think is perfectly acceptable. Anyone who's gone to a gun range and learned how to shoot, it's fun. You, there's a cool feeling of power coming from it, right? But when you talk about things like handguns, this is something designed for killing people. So, Oh, specifically people. Yeah, you're not going to go hunting rabbits generally with a Glock. Yeah. You're, you're just not. Yeah. Like, why do we have them? That's why. Gotcha. <laughs> so um, I, I'm saying all that to say that there's so many different situations. I, I, I don't feel like it's the best long-term solution to keep trying to regulate things because people are always going to go find loopholes or just not do it. For example, with prohibition, they just, do you know what happened during prohibition? One thing, these big clubs 
went and they just, because there's a loophole that any liquor which was already produced was fine if you already had it. Yeah. But you just couldn't make more. Yeah. So they just literally bought up all of the liquor for these like gentlemen's clubs. And a lot of them had, for the entire prohibition, they were just fully loaded and stocked. <laughs> so they never had prohibition for them. Wow. So that's an example of if you have money and there's a loophole, obviously people are going to exploit it. Yeah. So I find a more appropriate long-term solution. Short-term is very situational what to do. Long-term, we need to enhance people's um, sensibility, their ability to look at things clearly. Because if you don't raise a generation of people who have clarity and sense, then it doesn't really matter what you do. You're, you're going to end up either in daycare for everybody, like kindergarten, or an authoritarian state, or just chaos. I, I don't see it going any other way. Gotcha. So that's, that's where I come from. Like, how do we simply implement the things which create the next generation to be in such a state that we don't need to have a law not to kill people. Like it shouldn't be, we shouldn't need that law. The fact that we do is a problem to me. Yeah. And, and you don't mean law, like we shouldn't have that law where we can use it in a utility as a utility to prevent it or to. I'm not saying we shouldn't, or we should yeah. kill people. I'm saying we should have a generation of people who don't need that to be a law in the first place. Yeah. As, as you, you mean as like a motivation, as like a, like people shouldn't rely on the law to tell them what to do. People should have the sense to know what to do for themselves. Yeah, I would hope. So what do you think is different about somebody who doesn't have that sense for somebody who does when it comes to things like, um, um, man, I just don't want to name like a shitty person. That's like, <laughs> don't want to call anybody out. Um, you someone is dead. Someone who's dead? Like, if that's a possible example. Is there like an older time example? That would be yeah, relevant? I think I think there's a really I think there's a really um, a relevant one. I think I think racism is still a huge problem here. Um, you know, if you were to look at a trend, it's culturally getting better. Um, we're we're going through this weird rough patch right now, and data and information about what exactly is going on is very hard to seems to be really hard to be more or i don't know what i'm talking about just more likely case or both um but we can definitely say that like culturally racism was a lot worse a hundred years ago versus today and there has to be a difference between how somebody where somebody centers their identity to be able to own slaves to wanting to just be friends with everybody like that's those are those seem to be like two different operating systems and people two different softwares. And I was just wondering, what do you think a difference like that is? Hmm. Well, I mean, so why do some people include some people as a part of themselves, or at least an equal in some way? Someone who they. Not a utility, but a, a life. And some people see it as something to exploit. Right? Mm. I guess for me, I, I just see it like this. If we... Okay. There's something that used to be done in India long ago. Gotcha. Which I found to be fascinating, and I wish we could somehow revive this around the world. They looked at education as an empowerment. 
if you were illiterate, for example, you are severely limited in what you can do in this life. Like it's, I think that's pretty without question. Like good luck with the internet. Maybe if you have it on some sort of accessibility thing, like a blind person, you can speak. But if you're unable to grasp language in a really well um, rooted way, or if you just don't speak a language, for example, people that only speak whatever language they speak in Papua New Guinea or something. Yeah. They they have no access to, for the most part, the English part of the internet. So how much information they're losing. So when you look at education as an empowerment, then uh, what they did in India was they wouldn't give anybody an education until it was first established an identity, which is global. They see themselves as equal and a part of life. What you exhale, the trees inhale. What they exhale, you inhale. You're, you're just another piece of life. That's half your lungs. If you experience that, like you wouldn't be cutting down trees. We wouldn't need environmentalism would be silly hmm. if that was your experience. So similarly, they made sure that everyone saw themselves as a part of the world. Yeah. Not a part of this small circle of people. And then they gave them education and empowerment. So if you approach it that way, a lot of these things can be mitigated and not really relevant. There would be enough sensible people on the planet that you wouldn't need to have to deal with these problems. Or if you did need to do them, which you probably would with the population size, there'd be enough people to handle it properly. Could I, could I steel man you for a minute? I don't know what that means, but sure. Steel manning is one of my favorite things. It's just when you um, repeat back what somebody just said in a different way to see oh, if you got okay. it. Sure. And and if I can take a crack at steel manning you in a way where like some of my family might understand where you're coming from. Sure. So when you have your center of identity in your in your personality, it's easier to categorize things as good or bad, as disposable or not. And it sounds like what you're talking about is setting your identity as a part of larger things and then having that be able to that totally rewires and totally reprograms the softwares of does this make sense to harm this this um, X, Y, Z? Um, and then having that in the foundation is a kind of sensibility that we might be lacking right now. Yeah, that's probably pretty accurate. Okay, awesome, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you... It's just my opinion that I picked off from somebody else, but I, it really just makes sense to me that if I see you as something other than me and you're sick or you need help for some reason, do I help you or not is a question of how I'm feeling that day or whether or not I care. But if my own finger is rotting, it's not a great service to do what needs to be done to stop that and save my finger. It's just obvious I'm going to save my finger. Mm. If I see you as just like my own finger, I'm going to do whatever I can because that's what's needed. Yeah. Not because it's, I'm serving you out of some pious anything or it's just, that's what's needed. And that's all. I think, I think some people I've, I've tried to have conversations like this with other people and it, it seems like one place they get stuck on in, in a place where I have a hard time continuing the conversation in any way that like makes sense um is they uh they have a hard time 
they they see like personalities as sort of like uh, different different castles, and like how do you how do you put two castles together when they're far apart? Like you're in this body, I'm in this body. I'm going to take care of me. You're going to take care of you. If you're not doing bad, then you're not living up to your end of the deal, and I'm going to move on. Like how would you how would you start bridging gaps between like what you're saying and then that kind of like uh, that kind of way of looking at people? I think I took over your podcast. I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> These are interesting questions. How do you bridge that gap? I mean, I, th I don't think the answer is to somehow change that person's mind who's thinking that way. They feel how they feel. They're entitled to it, whatever. Hmm. They're an adult at this point. It's more, I was just watching, this is uh, interesting. I was just looking at a video today about there's a community being built in uh, Costa Rica. I forget what it's called. I only just, I, I, it started with an A, I forget it though. But anyway, um, the guy who was uh, starting this community was explaining, he's like, do you not think it's odd that the people who are your neighbors are only your neighbors because they could afford to buy that plot of land at that time and for no other reason? And you don't agree with them? You don't even know who they are or give a shit? <laughs> Is that not a little weird? Like, doesn't it make more sense to care about your neighbors and, like, intentionally be part of a community? Because if you did that, you would then be surrounded by people who you care about. Gotcha. And so I think instead of trying to change the mind of somebody who's very established in his castle, who like, honestly, if you're in survival mode, then that's what a castle is, right? You've yeah. built brick walls because you're worried about an invasion. Yeah. And you've got whatever you need inside the castle to hold out the, uh, what do you call it? A, what do you call it when someone attacks a castle for an extended period of time? Um, a siege, right? Thank you. Yeah. Trying to hold out the siege. You build the moat, you do all the things. Still, they get through sometimes. Or they starve you out. Yeah. But if, if we're able to at least let the next generation grow up in a kind of place where they both have the competence with them in themselves to handle whatever situations happen in their life well, and also we start connecting these communities. Like, look at countries like um, India and Pakistan is a fascinating dichotomy because they used to both be India. And then the British just kind of arbitrarily drew this line before they left. And then they became two different countries. So I am not an expert in that uh, the Indian and Pakistani relations at all. But it seems to me to make sense that if you look at a budget of like what the U.S. spends on military, if we started shifting that into investing in sending engineers and doctors to build up their society, give them stable power and healthy food, like there's so many things that could be done to create a more sustainable country. I don't mean sustainable in like political sense. That would be great. But even just so that all the people on the ground living there, the citizens who are not fully involved in politics, they're just trying to survive, get them out of survival mode. Now they have something to fight for. 
But if I bomb you and you're just living in rubble, what do you want them to do? It literally drops your IQ to be in survival mode. Yeah, I think I think up to 10, 10 points. Something crazy, right? And even in the US, we have these food deserts, these areas where people can't get fresh food for like 10 miles. And so you expect them to buy something other than soda and garbage food, which is affordable for them? I, I couldn't agree more. That, like, that's something that really... It's a pet peeve of mine. Like I became a, like I, I like to. I'm a vegan. I like to say it's it's nice to be a vegan. Just don't be a vegan about it. <laughs> That's a good. <laughs> I I didn't I didn't understand why vegans were annoying until I became one because I started looking them up and for advice and then realized like oh this this is like this is kind of torture. Um, and anyone who there were a lot of people who were like you're not a real vegan unless you do it this way. And instead of like having an interesting conversation and letting people live in their gray area and realizing food deserts, like you said, are very real. It's like ridiculous to mm -hmm. judge people. This it's, goes back to that Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah. People that have only been, let's say, vegan for like maybe one or two years and they haven't had to deal with deficiencies yet or they haven't had to deal with other people's... It's difficult. It's difficult being vegan. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's not easy. And... But... It, it blows my mind that like they're making this um, this lecture on a soapbox um, with their new camera that they bought inside their home that they probably use their car to go to the store and buy. Which is like those are all not vegan things. It's like I like you, if you would like to be as vegan as possible, it sounds like we should all live in caves. But I rather like society like right now, I'm still still holding like maybe my team if like society was a sports team. We're not doing that well this past year, but I still believe in us. <laughs> just a hardcore fan. I, I just really, I really want it to work out. We don't have to go to the Super Bowl, but it would be nice if we just did a little better. Um, but yeah, it's just crazy to me. But mm. I, with um, it, what you said resonated with me quite a lot because it does seem like people, people are in that survival mode. And I think you could listen to people who study economics and politics argue over, are we getting better or are we getting worse? Um, like, um, have you uh, read any of Steven Pinker? And like his, I, I only read his, one of his last books, Enlightenment Now. I've heard the name of the book, but I haven't read anything. It's a... Um, it's a great audiobook. Um, it's very, very easy to get through. And it's just um, him trying to use reason to give a case for optimism towards the future. Hmm. But then you look at it with other variables and it's it's the future looks quite scary. Um, but whether what's actually going on, I think it's fair to say that people f now more than ever, now and more than ever in recent history are in survival mode people are, are like terrified of making it through rent uh i was just talking to one of my neighbors earlier today and um we were talking about like how we could possibly collaborate on something um in a couple weeks from now and uh and he was just like yeah it was like maybe after i get rent it's like yeah totally fair hit me up whenever man yeah the more i think about it like when i was growing up I don't know why this might have been an issue that I had uh, just growing up. 
feeling like we were poor, even though we were kind of middle class. And even like globally, yeah. definitely we're in, like if you make more than, I think it's like 32,000 a year or something like that, you're in the top 1% of the world economically. And that's not a lot of money if you're living in the US. Not really. It's okay if you're by yourself, but that's about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, you can live in an apartment. You can... Yeah, you can get by. But that's the thing. Like, you're living in an apartment. And even if you get a house, you have a mortgage for most of your working life. At what point did we shift to... Like, it didn't used to be that way. You used to just settle on a homestead or whatever and you had this house and it was paid off and it was you didn't owe anybody anything it's yeah. yours and that's that when that shifted to oh i have to keep paying this constantly because interest and loan and whatever whatever either we need to scale back the quality of materials or shift to more sustainable materials or we need to if you're going to make a 50-year investment in a house it damn well better last three or four hundred years Gotcha. Like something, because we cannot be constantly owing somebody something just to survive. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I, I think part of that, like, honestly, is overpopulation. There's just too many people. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's something I think is like, that's that's one of the things that scares me. I don't know if that's on my top 10, but it, it probably should be. Or like, you, you think about, like, you don't want to tell people that it's dangerous to have too many kids. And... I'm not going to argue that we're at that point in history now, but we're definitely heading towards that that history, or that that will be our history, if we don't um, become a little more aware. Like like I like saying it like this. I think this makes me sound mean, but um, like if you if you're if you are with somebody and you would like to have kids and, and you're able to do it together um, biologically, um, and you decide to have kids, totally cool. That's that's your right. Um, but if you don't have the conversation of adoption, probably kind of an asshole, just a little bit. Like you're not an asshole for saying, I'm not going to adopt at all. But if maybe, maybe just have a coffee and talk about it, talk about why you don't want to do it. And mm. then I would take it a little further than that. Not further than saying you're an asshole. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I meant that glibly. I don't, I don't actually yeah. mean it. Yeah. Um, if you have a situation, which we do, where there are objectively too many people on this planet already, and even if you want to say, no, no, this is a fine amount of people, it, there is a finite amount of Earth. There, there is going to be a level, wherever yeah. that number is. I'll let someone much smarter than me determine where that number is, but there is a number of capacity which the Earth can sustain because... The earth is not just for humans, it's for all life. And we're wiping out all these species just to make room for what? Your suburban grass picket fence? Like what? I'm yeah, sorry, I need no. a great yard to be inside and watch Netflix. It's very important to me. It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> so um, someone... Sorry, uh, I just realized I'm still making fun of the suburbs. I just connected those dots. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> the suburbs are, I think one of the least efficient ways of having like land management hmm. from this is what I read from uh, people who study different ways of living. What, what about land management? Was it like what quality or characteristic of land management were you talking about? So if you, it's 
been quite a while since I was reading about this. Yeah, so or, or just what... Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just totally going off of what I remember, and I leave the caveat that you should probably look this up and not just trust what I'm saying. <laughs> but um, from what I remember, the space between people, the amount of extra driving people have to do for the suburbs, the amount of resources required to ship food across that uh, swath of land, so okay. many different factors go into... And on top of, of course... Um, at least in the U.S., the amount of grass, which is leading to the like death of the Gulf. Gotcha. Things like this. So, so using all of these kind of factors, which are far beyond what I can really comprehend in terms of the numbers, because I'm bad at math. <laughs> but um, giving all those factors, it's more efficient to either be in a city or in a more rural area where you can more sustainably grow things if you do it that way. Gotcha. Um, so you may be talking about like natural resource management. Yeah, I mean, also time. It's like a very weird way to use time. What do you mean? Like, uh, like I was on a job that it that wasn't even in the suburbs, but it took me an hour to drive the work one way. It's like that's two hours out of my day. Hopefully, like using it well, listening to audiobooks, but not always or usually. Oh. I feel like like that was a buzzer. Like I just got the answer wrong. <laughs> <laughs> if you couldn't hear the phone, I guess had a. Oh, we need. We're using iPhones as the cameras, and somehow even on Do Not Disturb, it's still creating a buzz. Do you think it created a little earthquake? I should stop talking about it, but. It, <laughs> oh, some. Oh, okay. There might be a few more buzzes then. I set this like evening sadhana for. Um, uh, remember to practice music yeah. and uh, do some like night meditation and stuff. And so it's probably going to buzz a few more times. Hopefully you can't hear that. We're just going to keep rolling as if it's not there and that you didn't get the wrong answer. <laughs> I'm going to say it every time. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, it'll be a fun game then. <laughs> mm. So what, what have you been, can I ask you a couple more questions? Just cause like, this is a good chance for us to catch up too. Go for it. Uh, like what have you been up to lately? Like what's, what's, do you have any downtime or what, what, what have you been doing to treat yourself or anything like that? Like just for me kind yeah, of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm not sure how this will sound, but it just is the reality for me at this point. Uh, I spent that time in the ashram we were talking about earlier. Uh-huh, yeah. And um, this is the Isha Foundation, if you're listening you don't know. The Isha Foundation is um, a really tremendous organization. They're actually the largest environmental uh, NGO in Southeast Asia, at least as of the last time I remember looking. And that's not even their main goal. They're also doing education. They've got millions of students in India under their like style of educating, bringing people from first generation school going to getting like top of charts in terms of their entrance exams to schools. So they're you're getting kids that parents never went to school to now be competent in English, computer skills, and all the basics they need to raise their economic level substantially. Yeah. And that's not their main goal. They're also doing things like... Um, reviving India's rivers by they created a national movement to plant a kilometer of trees on either side of the rivers to bring the rivers back to life because you need trees for the soil to hold water. Hmm. Things like this. 
and that's not their main goal. <laughs> like I, it blows my mind. So for me, I either need to be in the ashram making maximum back that way or outside doing something I feel is worthwhile, worth not being in there. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to focus on. And, um, in terms of like what I do for me, I've turned whatever I enjoy into something that also benefits what I'm working on. Like this podcast, I like meeting as many people as possible. Yeah. But it also helped me understand other people. Well, I, I, uh, I really admire and I, I'm actually even inspired by your, um, you, it seems like endless, and, and I and I realize like pragmatically things work differently, um, and I love that I actually have no idea how you think. It's one of my favorite things about you. <laughs> uh, but you do you seem to have like an abundance of energy, and you, you have a good control over like, you know, a lot of people are like, this is work. I'm gonna download. I'm gonna collect all my stress here, and I'm gonna download it here. And it seems like you have a good way of uh, not even letting stress stick to you in a way that is uh, relatable mm. to most people. Like, I'm, I guess, I guess me, I'm saying is like, I have trouble describing it, but I, I find it really fascinating. Oh, I, I think, I think for me, if it seems that way, it's one thing is, and it does. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it may not for everybody. I don't know. I'm okay. just saying, like, um, if it feels that way to you, if it feels like I don't feel stress, it's not that I don't. Mm. It's just that um, from the Isha Foundation, they've given tools to manage these things in a way where it's kind of like um, a systematic, formulaic, f formulaic not formulatic. What is that? <laughs> it's not a word. Um, it's a very scientific approach to, you know how if you're sitting in traffic, which you would if you're in Atlanta, it's really probably one of the worst places in the country for traffic. When you're sitting in traffic bumper to bumper, it's super slow. It can be so like ugh, frustrating and you're just like, Come on, can we not do the caterpillar move? <laughs> I just did. <laughs> when I drove a stick shift, that killed me. I was like, why? Why does it need to be this way? No. But um, if you were just in a hot air balloon just above the traffic, that just that simple difference, the traffic's still there. You still see it. But now you can just kind of be like, oh, that's cool. Okay. <laughs> the tool gives you that distance, that slight distance. And that uh, perspective, which shifts everything. I think. I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people have a lot of like, um, like you. You sent me a couple of videos on different perspectives of meditation. I found them very useful. It's pretty much been like you and Jerry Seinfeld, who I've taken video advice from. Yeah, yeah. Jerry Seinfeld had a video on TM that that I was very helpful to me, and it's time I really needed it. Um. But I like I sometimes talk about it to my friends and uh, and I was like, oh, they like that sounds cool. I'd love to try. I just like can't empty my mind. And I'm like, I don't think that's I don't think that's how it's supposed to work, at least at the beginning. Like I think there are many ways of getting about it. I, and, and I think it, like it seems to me I could be totally wrong here, but there's this common strain of people who think that meditation and yoga is about just totally taking away all your 
your wants and desires and, and like depersonalizing yourself. Uh, but that hasn't been my experience. But as far as we're, we're like on the stupidity confidence curve, like <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't take a class that I teach about this and neither should anyone else. But you have more experience than me. It's like, is, but is it just like depersonalizing yourself? Like you're in traffic and you're getting mad no. or, or is, is there another perspective that like me and a lot of people are missing? I think a lot of people think you're supposed to do meditation. It's not something you do. It's a state of being like, I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm meditative. Mm. How you get to that is by see, um, when you look at like Instagram or something like that, this very Western California style of yoga, and I'm not trying to like knock it. I, I don't want to talk about something that I haven't fully experienced, but what I see is a lot of people trying to bend like a pretzel and that's when they feel like they're good at yoga, they're good at bending. You know what I mean? But I feel like from what I've understood, the purpose of doing specific sequences of asanas is to um, get yourself to a state of meditativeness slowly. Asanas, you, you just used a word I don't know the meaning of. Could you... Asana means posture. Posture, okay. Like this is an asana, this is an asana. I'm just gotcha. moving my hands. These are all different asanas. Oh, okay. So of all of those asanas, there are um, a select few which have a certain impact on the body. For example, in a very simplistic way, you could say, um, if I sit hunched over with my neck like this and I'm just typing on the keyboard, and yeah. you know, some people get really bad hunches, just do this right now. You can just try this. Bend your neck super forward. Now take a deep breath. Oh, that didn't go very far. Now, now stand up straight. And take a deep breath. So just from that simple experiment, and anyone at home, you can try this, you'll notice your lung capacity changes. And your breath is very, very, very much connected to your mental state. So whenever you're feeling something, if you're angry, you'll notice you'll just kind of, your body language will just like tense up and you'll get, you know, like this. When you're relaxed, you'll be some way. When you're sad, you like each of these things has a posture. So you're just reverse engineering oh. this. You're just going into postures which create, um, they allow your body to slowly drop the tension okay. and function properly. Could I, could, I, could I say this back to you to make sure I'm like listening sure. well enough? I love that you do this. Do you know why? There why was a that? saying someone said, I need you to tell me what you heard me say so that I know what I said. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I feel like you do. And it's, it's so I, critical. I love this... This is the this is maybe the second time I've been asked to be on a somebody's podcast, and it's my favorite part about it by far is it's for some reason socially acceptable to like steel man people, yeah. Um, and I, I just have to sneak it into normal conversation. I like because it's make so it much normal. fun. So what what you're saying is is like most like most people I think will feel a certain way and then they'll sit a certain way or they'll fall into these like subconscious things and we think of that as like body language like oh your body's telling you how to feel but what you're doing is saying like also your your body is telling you what to feel in a large way and that you can help along that process by changing your uh, your posture you so that's the reverse engineering aspect of it. Yeah, you're you're putting your body into postures, which um, change your state of being. It's not like, oh, I'm happy. 
But you've you've probably heard people say for like job interviews. So I've never seen you spontaneously turn in the Peter Pan before. That was kind of <laughs> magical. <laughs> um, come on, Tink. No, but uh, <laughs> uh, think about it like um, you've probably seen, or especially if you've ever like looked up what to do for a job interview. They say you should before you go into the interview, you should stand in like a victory pose. You know, like this like like a runner who's just won a race or something yeah with your arms up and it it to a degree it works hmm. like if you'd stand like that you'll feel much better than if you just went in cold and you weren't feeling so hot hmm. have you have you looked into it all like in, and just you know shut me down if this is a bad road to go down <laughs> but like have they i'm sure they have and i just don't know about it where they, they like ask people to just be in different postures whether measuring their their brain activity or like their the different chemicals that are being induced and different hormones that are going off i don't know maybe i don't know okay all right well. but what i can say is um you you could go about it that way and I, there's nothing wrong with that because that's very scientific um but i would encourage trying a system of yoga which has been established and proven to work and experience it for yourself this, this is one thing i think is my favorite takeaway from the meditation and in the meditation that i've done which is like small potatoes for sure um but it, it has helped me realize like to separate my brains like oh i'm like experiencing something and that doesn't tell me at all what chemicals are in my brain from mm. oh like somebody can measure and tell me i have these chemicals in my brain but it doesn't tell me at all what i mean what it's like to experience that um and, and may, maybe that sounds like i was trying to use chemical language to explain something but you're just saying like oh well you could do all that or you could just try to experience something new like music like no 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 chemical is uh, the exact way to think about it because every emotion has a chemical basis yeah. that's why we take pills to affect it like um yeah antidepressants and stuff it's yeah it's just chemistry right so it's just that um these systems have already been worked out on how to get the chemical factory that is your body operating in a way that it creates chemicals hmm. that are good for your well-being that sounds like a youtube lecture i would watch well um there's something they teach at the ashram and it's actually recently available online which i've told you about which is uh, inner engineering and oh yeah yeah, yeah inner engineering yeah. has um two parts there's one part is more intellectual to just under basically to unwind some of the things we've uh, learned like like myths and stuff it's more like just understanding the mechanics of how this i'm pointing to myself how yeah. this works and then there's a practice that goes with it yeah the practice it takes 21 minutes every day it's quite simple there's a little bit of breathing and some other things involved and i cannot explain to you why it works but i do know that it has been studied by multiple people at this point and has been shown to increase like neuronal regeneration the neurons in your brain hmm. growing back at like silly percentages like you'll actually get smarter as you get older instead of slowly losing brain cells hmm. so for me that was enough like if a reputable group yeah. studied and found that like I'm not going to go about the path of trying to measure each and every, because that's not me. 
I'm not the kind to do that. Someone can do that. And that's great. Like, please do. It would be great to learn more about this. Yeah. But for me, this is working and it's proven. I'm, I'm in because I just wanted to feel better when I started all this. What, what I love about this um, is just, you know, it, it's uh, it's just a totally different perspective on on the identity and self. And like, I think that's I think that's what I like about it. It's just. um maybe this is a this is just kind of like an obtuse way to put it and I'm, I'm sorry if it is but you know there's a lot of truth to or really just sounds cliche maybe maybe i'm just accidentally writing the next disney film but uh i i do like learning about other people's lives and, and how they how they think and, and move about because it can help you learn a lot about how you're doing stuff and it sounds like this is a this is just trying to take uh, f physiological. Um, man, I don't even know how to put this. This is so hard because there's a part of yoga and the way that's described in the main, like mainstream, that sounds homeopathic. Mm -hmm. um, but when you when you have homeopathic medicines, like they they came about for a reason. Like maybe. Maybe eating the uh, the the lizard's tail at one point like did actually help them for some reason for a totally different thing, and that's why like that thought process survived. Uh, but it sounds like the it sounds like this argument is like okay, this is this sounds like homeopathy because that's how it's always presented. But this is the homeopathy that like still that makes sense and still is coming through, and um, and is actually like significant and real. Sounds like that. That's the argument. I know. I'm like taking what you're saying, and then like your thing is like light and, and very cool, and I'm kind of bringing the mud a little bit. I don't mean to do that. I just I'm trying to take take the idea of like no, I, people who are too skeptical of me of trying new things, and then for give sure. it a little legitimacy. I, it's a interesting framing, but I, I totally understand why a lot of people would feel that way. I was definitely very um, skeptical of lots of things. But mm, the problem is a lot of things become commercial and then the integrity is usually lost yeah. a lot of times, unless there's a financial incentive to not. Um, so, for example... In India, there's something, this, yeah, this uh, necklace I'm wearing right now, this okay. is called a rudraksh, and these are actually seeds. I'm sorry, I just fell in love with that word for a second. Rudraksh, yeah. yeah. It means seeds of Shiva, I think, something like that. Okay. But um, uh, I won't, you can look up on YouTube if you want to know more about rudraksh, but the point I'm saying is that um, these seeds uh, come from a tree, which when the British came, they cut down a lot of them and used them for railroads. Yeah. So um, prior to all of that, for thousands of years, there were people who raised these trees, took care of them when um, they needed to be shipped to somewhere. Uh, they were packed with mud. And so you'll see a lot of new ones are kind of orangey because that's how they ship it to wherever. So that it's exactly the way it was when it came off the tree. Okay. And um, there was a certain integrity to it, to how the process was done by people that were not financially motivated but out of devotion to this thing there's a certain spiritual significance there's no need to go into right now but um 
once it became a commercial thing, there's another tree called the Badraksh tree. I think I said that right. It could be. Shrab, did I say that right? Yeah. So um, this tree is almost indistinguishable when you look at the seed. And it's um, in terms of, if you, if you look at things in terms of, is it beneficial to your life or negative for your life? It's not positive for your life, but it's easier to get, to procure, this, and to this sell. This other seed that... Mm -hmm, the yeah. Badrax tree, uh, seed. So commercially... It's the, it's the counterfeit t-shirt of this seed. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And so that is now, because you don't have integrity, you're financially motivated, things become corrupted. And then you can, you can extrapolate this to so many different aspects, especially in the spiritual realm. When you're talking about things, most people are unable to perceive. So it's easy to lump it in with, this is nonsense, because a lot of it is, unfortunately. Not because the root of it was, but because it's become that way because of lack of integrity. Hmm. And so if you're looking at it from a skeptical mind, it's very easy to throw the baby out with the bathwater because this sounds like nonsense. Yeah. And a lot of times the people who are talking are not talking from a place of inner experience. They're talking because they read a book on it and they don't really know what they're talking about, but they believe they do. They say, I know something they don't. So now they don't have integrity and they've, by doing that, come in front of you and created a a bad image in your head, especially if you're skeptical, because you you can sniff out nonsense. If you're a sharp mind and you're skeptical, you'll notice when someone, it kind of sounds logical, but I think you're full of crap. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's very easy to see that. And so you'll come to these conclusions. I think just rationalization is, is just kind of used as, as, as proof a lot of the times. And I, I just think that's, that's the hard part. It's like, yeah, it's just like, either accept it for what it is or uh or 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 not yeah well, I, that came out wrong because that because that doesn't make sense when you're thinking about like science or like financial savings so i, I don't really take back what i said but well it didn't make sense maybe you could say you excuse me you have to look at whatever you're looking at clearly without bias skepticism is good cynicism is a problem because now you're adding a bias oh yeah yeah but yeah, skepticism yeah. means i'm willing to look at this clearly and not come to a conclusion just what is it that's real science i i heard uh a quick interview of elon musk the other day uh and it was the first time i heard the idea of first principles first uh analogies and i i, I really liked it um kind of kind of reminded me it's like oh it's like i like I've kind of been slipping a little bit lately, so maybe it's time to, to get back to that. But first principle seems like what you're talking about is, well, analogies is like, I want to make this thing and there are these other things out there. So if I want to make something, I have to be analogous to what's out there. Where first principles is take all your foundational um, tools and then from those you build up to what you want to be hmm. or you want to create. So like Tesla could have just made a bunch of low end entry level electric cars, but instead yeah. they went for something that hasn't been done. Yeah. Luxury. And I'm not trying to get into um, an Elon Musk conversation because I really don't know a lot about the guy, but I do but, like that first principles concept. Yeah. But would that be applicable? I think. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, um, let's look at what are the things 
beyond what we talked about, which are important to you? Mm. It could so, be socially. It could be... So other values that I have? Oh, here's a better way to look at it. When you meet yeah. somebody new, what, what are the things that um, strike you as, wow, that's a valuable trait. I, I want that person in my life. I appreciate this about them. Um, I, I think I love being around, I mean, it can be at different doses of each, but I, I, I love being around people who are, are going to make me laugh. And usually the people who I think are the funniest aren't trying to be funny. They're just funny for me. And they're totally underlooked. Like a couple, like the, the funniest person I've ever met was this uh, this girl I was dating for a couple of weeks and and we decided not to to continue the relationship because it wasn't working out but like I regret meeting her in that way because I wish I could go back and be like let's just be funny together because she would just say like one of the things she said that I still think about we were talking about uh, Dungeons and Dragons mm -hmm. and I was like have you ever played and she was like, I haven't, have you? And I said, well, I, I played in high school a lot and I haven't really been able to play since. And she was like, I didn't get to play in high school. I was like, why? It's like, well, Dungeons and Dragons is a game for nerds who had friends. And it just, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, but I think why I like that so much is because it just takes a, it just takes a lot of like vulnerability and honesty to do that. And mm -hmm. if I, if I get a sense that you're not you're not really being authentic or like you're not playing a part I'm, i kind of i kind of lose interest pretty quickly mm. um like i also love engaging with people i disagree with that's something that i i really enjoy because i like understanding like where they come from but if you're having a conversation you agree with about everything 100 percent, what do you have to talk about like where, where's there to go what's there to explore yeah um so in anyone who can be honest with me and be vulnerable with me and want to um, understand each other, it's like mm. that's, that's a friend in the making. Interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's something really beautiful about finding those people that you absolutely disagree with, but there's some sort of understanding or respect between the two people where like you can have those conversations and it's fine to disagree. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I'm like, I'm very bad at small talk. Like I am like, can't, I'm bad. Like I can have a conversation one-on-one. -on -one. I can have a, I can talk to a large group of people cause I can just pretend you're one person mm. who might have like too many personalities. Uh, <laughs> but, but like if there's a conversation with three or four people, I'm gone. Like I'm no, I'm no help to you at all. Like, like I might get a joke in that's terrible timing cause you've already moved on from the conversation. Um, but you know, I, what what I what I really value, like I don't need you, I don't need anyone to be me. Like maybe there shouldn't be. We don't really need a lot of me in the world. Like I like I love what I do. I love my life. I'm very grateful for that. I'm trying to contribute what I can and in, in like increase the amount I contribute. I'm trying to like boost that mm. uh, metric in my life right now. Um, but I'm 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 I don't know. Like I would rather. I would rather work on the conversation with other people and people who are willing to yes. And that with me, it's like, Oh, like, I don't know how we got here. I don't know how we got to talk about, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know how we, we got to talk about, um, 
different grocery store habits and how it bothers us or like the economy right now or philosophy. It's like, I really don't care. Like we talk about anything as long as we're being honest about it. Mm. Fair enough. Uh, what about, um, we'll do a bit of a lightning round. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. Um, what is your, what is the thing which is most difficult for you? Um, honestly, I'm, I'm trying to think of the best way of putting this. I have always struggled with, uh, with being political. Like I've, mm. I've always been awful at that. And, and, uh, when you if, say being political, like you? there's a certain amount of tightrope walking, well, like socially political, socially political that a lot of people instinctively like that's their identity when they talk like they like like what like I, I like I like putting it. There's a couple ways I like describing it. And I'm, I'm just now in my life trying to figure out how to figure to talk about this. That was a great sentence, wasn't it? <laughs> um, but when people small talk. And I'm, I'm listening to what they're saying and I'm like creating meaning behind what they're saying that doesn't exist. And, and just because there isn't like, they actually just mean, Hey, how are you? I'm good. And then they walk away. It sounds like it's going to sound weird, but I'll try and have it make sense. It sounds like birds singing to each other because <laughs> when birds sing, they're, they're not like, they're not like using real definitions or they're not like trying to express something deeper. They're just singing or like sometimes they are. They're trying to explain moods or like, hey, I want this. Attract a mate. Yeah. And I, th I think that's what small talk is. It's like, hey, how are you? And then the other bird shorts back. Oh, I'm great. And then a third person chimes in. It's a totally different song. It's like, yeah, I'm okay. And then all the other birds are looking at that bird. And I think I've been that bird for a long time. <laughs> well, but I, like, I honestly feel unless I need to for some situation, like uh, keep the thing moving. I really enjoy like just giving a little bit of just enough real with that answer. Like, okay. how are you doing? Like, oh, well, you know, I just took this, I did this, this, oh, this, and oh, I'm feeling this way today. And I, you can tell right away when someone's like, yeah, I didn't really want to know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm not a, not a social singer. So I think that's been, uh, it's been mm. something. It's definitely something I had to learn from scratch, for sure. Mm. Oh. Sounds like the cat wants it. <laughs> um, what is your uh, most cherished memory? Um, moments of, let me say four. Uh, I'm going to top the ones I'm like just special moments with loved ones that I think is, that's like the, the most powerful. Um, and then special moments with specific artwork that I, I got to see, um, like Monet's water lilies was life changing. Um, Ooh, is that? so there's this, uh, I've seen, uh, Monet water lilies a lot of time. Kansas city actually has a, what does that mean? It's the wrong answer. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Moving on. No, no, please. No, I want to know. Um, there was, um, Kansas city has actually has a, a great museum. Um, has 
plenty of important pieces of art that's just hanging out in the Nelson Art Gallery. And uh, one of the pieces they have is um, one of the water lilies paintings. And mm. I did not know when I was younger and saw it that it was one piece to a triptych. And when I saw it, I think it was around when I was in college. What is a triptych? Three? Oh, three. Yeah, three. Um, so it was, I think it was in New York, Chicago, and Kansas City. And then the three museums decided to ship their pieces to the other museums and they'd all have a turn having all three. And so one of them was like, oh, that's a cool painting. And people tell me why I should like it. But when you see all three, there's a, they did a real great job with the exhibit. And you go down this little hallway and then the wall starts to expose the triptych together. And it's like 30 feet long and like 10 feet high. It, oh. And the three paintings are next to each other. But when, when they're together, when you see them as a family, it is it, it turns you into this... Com forces you into its introspective place. Like they like you could hear the the dial of conversation and go down as you walk through the hallway and then you win the room nobody was speaking except like the seldom whisper. Um and and then you just got this huge buzzing feeling in your your brain and it, it felt like a conversation between you and the piece. And uh, I know everyone I know it's possible for anyone to have that. Like a lot of people get that with a lot of music, I think is the music is the most direct way to get feelings like that. Um, but like, that's a very, those are very significant moments in my life. Um, and um, I know I said four, but I kind of got lost in thought okay. thinking about that triptych. Um, I, I, I love, I love being around people who laugh. I love making people laugh. Like in like, that's always a, a win. And then the fourth one was, um, introspective moments. And probably the most powerful one I was able to experience is skydiving. Mm. Um, cause I went and did construction and I had way too much money and I blew it all on skydiving. This is that one you're talking when you were Yeah, yeah, younger. yeah, yeah. Um, the Texas trip with your uncle. Yeah. Just to, just to briefly say that story so I, I did construction it was stupid dangerous uh it was really hard work i, I shouldn't have been there everyone there was like a hundred times tougher than me uh so i had to work really hard to just keep up with everybody like these guys would like carry sheet metal up a ladder and then put it up and install it like i saw a dude cut his leg with sheet metal to where you Ooh. could see the white muscle and Ooh. then he got a paper towel and then duct taped it to his leg and went back to work that's insane. Yeah, like those are those are tough, tough guys, and um, and so I had all this money at the end of the summer, and um, my uncle had been trying to get me to go skydiving, and I'm 16 now, and it's legal to go skydiving when you're 16 with parents' consent. Because Texas, because Texas, beautiful place, <laughs> and uh, and I, I got that signature, um, so. I got to go tandem skydiving. You're attached to somebody who's been legally f jumped uh, 500 times. They went many, many more. Um, one of the people there was a part at the time, the world record for uh, parachute formation. They were, they were a part of that. She was super cool. Oh, wow. Um, you went tandem with her. I didn't go tandem with her. No, that would have been cool though. Um, and then after the tandem, you know, I still have all this money and they're like, and I had this signature and they're like, do you want to train to jump solo? And, uh, and I, and I thought about it and then later that day I called my mom and, uh, and my mom's a first grade teacher. She's just this like cute, she's like Marge, she's Marge. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and uh, and then she, I've never heard her like yell at me faster and louder than that moment. She actually hung up the phone and called me back and yelled at me more. And I was like, Mom, I thought you might be this way. Uh, so I went ahead and I jumped three times. <laughs> and she was like, thank God you did that way. <laughs> and then I, I blew the rest of my money on more jumps. Um, but when you jump, everyone has like everyone should, who's physically able should jump. I've had one friend who tried it. Super awesome. They tried it. They got super nauseous. So it wasn't for them. Hmm. But if you can do it, you should. Every, everyone's going to be terrified going up. And then everyone's going to have a different reaction when they jump down. But mine was um, like it was just very extreme sense of serenity because it was just something about the falling. That sensation for my body just totally had me in the moment. And that mm. was the first time I had anything like that. That's cool. I, I went skydiving once when I was like I think 21. Yeah. Oh, it man. A, it was a birthday gift. I, we tried going hang gliding. I really wanted to go. Yeah. And uh, my mom decided to do that for me for my birthday. But we tried going up to the mountain, which is a maybe two-hour drive, twice. And the first time it started raining, and the second time it was too windy or not windy enough, one of the two. They like yeah. couldn't let you go. So we're like, okay, maybe we'll try something else. <laughs> this is taking forever. <laughs> um, but then we did skydiving. And the thing that blew my mind was that when you come out of the plane, I thought it'd be like a roller coaster where you have that drop. But because you're already going at terminal velocity, it's just like butter. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. It's it's very non-intuitive. And, and just, we're falling. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Um, I actually it's like the coolest, the most rock star moment I've ever had. I had uh doing that. And it was like it's like this is really satisfying, but I'm never gonna be able to top this moment in my life. I was like, all right, I did it at 16. That's that's not bad. But uh like I saw videos of people running in the air and I thought, oh, I'll try that. So like I jumped out of the plane, I started running and ended up doing like uh backflips while running. Uh -huh. And then I penciled where I was like just straight, but my head was down. I watched the plane dive. And then when I landed the parachute, like all of my, there was somebody who was working with us who had kids and all, I like made love babysitting for the kids and hung out with them. And it was, I think the only time I landed a parachute where I actually stood up. Mm. And so like I land and I'm standing and like all the kids like rush out and like are like so excited and proud of me. I'm like, yep, this is, this is it. Never going to be cooler in this moment. I'm spinning all these chips here. That's cool. <laughs> Otherwise, I played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. So just to bring bring the story back down to earth. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what do you wish people understood? That the conversation is something that we create. It's not you. It's not them. It, it's a collaboration. And we really need to relearn how to do that. Mm, that's a good one. Um, when you think of friendship, what's it mean to you? I, th I think a g all of, when I think of all of my good friends, there's somebody who man, I don't want to say a, a good friend to me is is somebody who cares about me on a level where we know we know that it's a even if we're mad at each other even if we don't get along we still love each other and uh and we 
we're willing to be honest when we're too much for each other or, Hey, like you need, really need someone to talk to. Mm. Um, but you can, um, when, when, you know, the, the comfortable and like the warm and fluffy parts of the friendship and the spiky parts of the friendship are not what the friendship it's about. It's like, it's not about taking the good and then taking the bad. It's just about the thing that's beyond that. And you just really want to get to know that person. Mm. Um, that was a man again like this this disney movie is going to do well (laughs) (laughs) it's exciting maybe you'll get to well i don't know if it's disney will it be like a live action disney movie or will it be like an animated movie i hope it's uh i hope it's pixar but it's probably gonna be star wars (laughs) (laughs) fair enough um let's talk about uh future a little bit yeah let's do it what do you what do you think, like, I want to separate what you think will happen and what you hope will happen. So what do you think the next five years will look like? Um, I think we're going to, I think it's going to get a lot worse. In what way? Um, I, and, I'm and a, if you want to give some context, like why? Um, I think we're, I think most of us don't realize that we're inside the Venus trap right now, where... Um, a lot of people are going to lose a lot of jobs. And, um, even if you're, even if your industry is safe, um, you're, you're now going to have a lot more competition. It's going to just make it harder for everybody. Um, people are going to go through that IQ drop and, uh, there's gonna be a lot more castles. And, um, and, and I think a lot of it isn't, I think I think we have to realize that we're going through something that society hasn't before. A lot of people think that AI is something that will create parallel jobs, and um, I don't see that trending in that direction. And since we're not having conversations about it, and and it's there, there are some people I love listening to, and then who are very very intelligent, way way more intelligent than me. But they they know their worth and they know their value in having those thoughts and conversation, but they, they don't seem as interested in having the propagating the basic conversation where like, well, no wonder you sound crazy to a lot of people because a lot of people are, don't want to listen to you for five hours to understand what that sentence meant. They don't have the context. And um, a lot of people are just... Um, like I'm not, I'm not putting the blame on individuals right now because a lot of it is in being incentivized. Like it's, it's easy to incentivize hazing, hating rich people right now when really like rich people, it's, if you think about it in a context of either you're rich or you're poor, you're very incentivized to think of rich people as a problem. Um, but there are, there are other variables out there. Like there could be rich people out there who will give their money away, or they could just be Honestly, like I don't mind that I didn't win the lottery, but I do mind that other people's lives are difficult enough where they can't say the same thing right now. And for me, it seems like I'll have to be, there will be more people. This is the really dangerous part for me. Um, in the past, there were so many jobs and so many people. And uh, in the future, it seems like there are, are going to be much less jobs for people who want to work really hard. 
which means you're going to have a, a bad ratio of people who want to work but can't, and they're going to be lumped into a group of people um, and then categorized as like they're lazy, which mm. is which isn't the case now, and it'll 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 just get worse. And we don't know what to do with people. We don't we don't know what to do with people who don't have a function. And in, in too work. many people. There's too many people. Um, At least for the system. And uh, and we we don't we don't know how to be bored. Like that's a big danger. We don't know how to do any of that. But what I what I wish to happen, because uh, I, I could talk about the other the what I'm afraid of for a long time. Like, like I I admire. I admire people like Andrew Yang quite a bit, but what I wish he would do is not just, he would, he does talk about, um, universal basic income, like his plan of a thousand dollars a month, which isn't his plan because guys like Martin Luther King were behind similar plans much, much before him. And he loved saying it. Not in like a weird way. I made him sound like pretentious there. <laughs> he loves, he should that. say that more. <laughs> Uh, he doesn't say that enough, actually. But what I wish he said more is—is is he he allowed people to be afraid a little bit to know that this is a this isn't a future worth gambling of it not happening. Like this isn't a meteorite we just want to let hit Earth because we think it might miss. Um, and we I think I think we should talk about the the scary things. Like I heard we're at an all-time high risk for nuclear war like that's a real thing um there's a lot of lot of scary what ifs that we shouldn't let run our day-to-day -day lives but we should have a conversation about in ways that are very difficult because mm. all these problems we're having like we can't seem to see how to count fairly in an election like we, we can't agree on how to do that so what I would like to see happen now, I'm going to inject positivity now that I let's do it. Vented a little bit about my my fears. Um, I want to see a world where we allow people to value themselves based on experiences, um, where there are no industries incentivized for suffering, which is I think a huge problem right right now. Um, gonna try and not sound like i'm on a soapbox but it's pretty difficult when talking about this no it's okay because this point like i i literally want to know what you think so say the way you need to yeah. be said um so even strip away morality strip away like good and evil and bad people we have we have a um, healthcare system globally that is incentivized for people suffering and dying uh we have a, a war industry that's uh incentivized for people um or suffering and dying um, and that's that incentivization seems to overtake um, any amount of efforts for well-being being pushed across. So I don't see it very pragmatic trying to categorize certain people as like good and evil and, and like, let's get rid of the evil people so more good people will flourish. I, I don't see that as a good long-term plan. Um but we've already opened this Pandora's box of technology where it's just going to be easier and easier to do good and bad things. And we need to let people create their own lives where it's okay not to be the best. It's okay to like 
a, a successful life is a well-lived life of, of happiness based on how you're experiencing things, not what you're experiencing. I, I think if we can get to that point where like maybe you have the genes and you're super ambitious and you make a video game from scratch and it, it like gets on the top 10 chart on your favorite video game platform. That's fucking amazing. And then maybe your sister just plays those games. Like that's, that has to be amazing in a different way where she is having a good life. And, um, and it, we, we need to have both of those value systems. Mm. Fair enough. So, um, <laughs> it's interesting because I feel it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier. Like yeah. technology, what we have is an amazing tool. Yeah. But if you don't have the enough sensible people, it's just going to go all over the place. Even yeah. Tech technology is changing our brains quickly. Yeah. That documentary, um, the social dilemma. I've heard a lot of people talk about it. Uh, it's shown a lot of people what they kind of knew, but didn't really want to yeah. investigate or didn't really have the ability to investigate it. But you can really see like, this is, um, an interesting creation we've come up with. Yeah, it, it is, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's our dragon to slay and I hope we do it. Mm -hmm. Our dragon to slay. What, uh, Look at my hands. I'm getting nervous. This is great. Oh, <laughs> if you look at um, the global kind of issues, which what kind of priorities do you have on what needs to be dealt with? Just based. I mean, yeah. Obviously, we can't know everything, so just based off what you know, give that um, caveat. Yeah, I, the the only things I can say that are sensible in this that I think are sensible and pragmatic can be done is we need, we need to figure out a, a universal social media that takes away the toxics incentivizations. So we don't, it's not like we want to get rid of Twitter. It's not like, it's not like we should say no to it, but we need to all have, and I don't think the plan, the best way of repairing the damage done by Twitter is to separate it into smaller companies. I don't think that's going to take away the problem, but we, we need to have alternative social medias that's more inclined to well-being versus clicks and allow people to go to the versions that they want so we can repair conversation. Mm. And, uh, and I think we need to, I'll just speak to my, I'll speak about myself because it's unfair for me to speak to other people. Um, I, I had to learn how to navigate my own emotional experience yes because of the the trauma i went through um which i know we didn't go into like great detail about that but um uh, but also just as a human being like it's just it's just it's like it's difficult enough man um it's been said a thousand different ways better than i put it now um but it it's just I, I think if we have a hard time sitting down in a room and sitting for three minutes, I think that's something to pay attention to. Fair enough. Hmm. 
Um, so let's end on a, a light note. Where do you see your life going in the next five years? What do you want to do? I mean, I hope I advance in my career. Um, I mean, I've, I think I've had a good start. Um, but, uh, I think it's, I think it's time for me to, you know, mature in, in my craft. Um, I think it's time for me to re-explore being creative. I think creative, the creative process is, is the best and the worst when you allow yourself to start over. So I'm kind of excited for that. Um, and you know, I'm, I, I'm really, really excited about the growth I've done in the past four years and really excited about what could be around the corner, but I don't want to be too specific past that. Like I know what I want. I know, I know the, the horizons that I'm heading towards. Um, but I, but I'm also, I can't see over every hill on my way to that horizon. I'm excited for those hills as well. Sure. Sure. What about beyond uh workplace? Um, man, there's so much I want to do. Like what? Um, I, I'd like to write, like, I'd like to learn, uh, the piano. I'd like to start writing comedy songs, um, just for friends and then see if anyone else likes it. Um, I'd like to learn to program. I mean, life, life is a buffet and I, there's no way I'm not going to like nibble on things. Uh, I don't, I don't want to like eat too much to where I can't move. But I, I definitely want to like try a bunch of stuff. Like life is, it's pretty great. Okay, and if uh, travel restrictions lighten up, COVID kind of gets under control, where do you want to go? Um, well, hopefully I could uh, visit India with you. Talked a little bit about that. That's kind of jumped to the top of my list. Okay, fair enough. Um, but I would also like to. I don't know where, but I'd like to go hiking. I'd like to do something that really seats me a little closer to nature. Um, mm -hmm. I think the most nature thing about me is that I'm vegan. <laughs> so it's fair to say there are like hunters who kill and eat meat who are a lot closer to nature than me. Mm -hmm. uh, not that I'm making it a competition, but it would be like, it would be nice to, uh, to experience that a little more in my year. Like, Oh, mm -hmm. it's like, this is a week I'm going to go. Maybe, maybe I'll go with somebody. Maybe I'll go with a group of people, but that sounds like a lot of fun. All right. Cool, cool. Well, um, before we wrap it up, is there anything you would like to just say to people? It doesn't have to be, but if you want. You're beautiful. I, I probably love you. And uh, have a great day or night or whatever you want to do. I probably love you. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Eric, thank you so much for doing this. I like <laughs> these. Uh, this has become one of my most favorite things to do these podcasts. Awesome. So, um, it's not easy to be vulnerable, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to just be honest. Cool. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks for you. All right, guys. We'll catch you in the next one. Do we freeze frame? <laughs> <laughs>